Quick reminder, next weekend service is Saturday at 4 o'clock. We'll be done before 5.30 to get you onto whatever honoring of Jesus you're going to be doing with gifts and family time. So Saturday, 4 o'clock, next week, no Sunday. Exodus chapter 9 is where we're going to be at. If you have a white or a blue Bible that we handed you, like the one I got up here, it's page 30. And we're going to start in verse 8. We've been working our way through the book of Exodus, and this is where we are this morning. So Exodus chapter, Exodus chapter 9, it's page 30. We're going to start verse 8. It says this, And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take handfuls of soot from the kiln, and let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. And it shall become fine dust over the land of Egypt, and become boils breaking out in sores on man and beast throughout the land of Egypt. So they took soot from the kiln and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses threw it in the air, and it became boils in sores breaking out on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils came up on the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. So uh, we've been working our way through the book of Exodus, as I've told you. If you've been here with us, you've known that's happening. And I think it's important to continually remind ourselves what's happening here. Because if you don't remind yourself why you're doing what you're doing, then you're going to get confused, right? Last night, I was in the hot tub with my kids, and uh, I bought my wife a hot tub of one of those blow-up ones a couple years ago for her birthday. And so they're really small. So it's like not a public hot tub. Like some people have hot tubs, and you're like, come over to our house and go in the hot tub. Not this one. Because... <laughs> If there's more than one person in the hot tub, you're going to be touching. And we have five of us in there, and we're all like this. And my daughter's like splashing me in the face the whole time. And I'm like, stop, 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 stop. And I had to remind myself, we're in here to have fun. We're in here to enjoy one another. I'm in here to be close to my daughter, even though it really is tiring that I'm taking like mouthfuls of bromine water. But... Like, if that happens just everywhere in life. If you don't remind yourself why you're doing what you're like, remind yourself what's going on. Oh, yeah, because we drift, right? We forget. We, we get focused on another thing, and we're doing the thing, and forgot why we're doing the thing, what we started out to do. So it's important for us to remember why God is doing what he's doing the way he's doing it in the book of Exodus. And I actually sometimes like to do this a little bit different route. It's also important to remind us what isn't happening in this book. Okay, so when we see God bringing plagues, right, there's a thing that we think is happening, and, and just remind yourself, this is not God trying to get his people free. He just can't, okay? This is not God, like, up in heaven, like, I've tried five plagues already, and I can't get Pharaoh to let my people go. What should we feel? Like him and Gabriel are like, okay, we need a plan. They got a whiteboard. They're like, how can we get these guys? That's not what happened. Like, that's not what's happening. He's not trying and failing to get his people out of slavery. He could set them pe those people free at any moment if he chose. All, if all he wanted was his people free, then he would have done it by now. If he just wanted to... They're out, right? He could just be like, and all the Egyptians just fall down. And they just walk away, right? Or just live in the land in the pyramids, and they're like, right, doing whatever they want to do. But that's not what he wanted to do. The other thing that is not happening here is God is not fighting against the Egyptians. 
They're not like wrestling back and forth. This is not like good versus evil. Like they're like back and forth. This is not David and Goliath. This isn't like any sort of battle or war, right? That you like, like this is not what's happening. If God wanted again to fight against the Egyptians, he could have won that war already. He could have won the fight. God is not fighting against the Egyptians. So if God was primarily about just setting the people free, it would have been over by now. If he was primarily about fighting against the Egyptians, he would have used all the forces at his disposal and that battle would have been over by now. So neither of those objectives make sense for what God is doing in this chapter, in this book, okay? If those aren't the things he's doing, what is he doing? Great question, I'm glad you asked. The reason, the only reason that makes sense is the exact reason that he gave us. In chapter six, God told them that he wants the Egyptians to know that he is Yahweh. Right? And we talked about it when we went through chapter 6. It's been really a foundational study. So if you haven't listened to Exodus chapter 6, you can go online, check it out. He, he uses the word, his name, Yahweh. And in your Bible, it's the L-O-R-D. In verse 8, it says, and the Lord. And see how Lord has the capital letters? That's his name, Yahweh. Okay, there's, no, there's a long story behind it. Listen to our study on Exodus chapter 6. But that's his name. He wants the Egyptians to know his name, that he's the God, Yahweh, that exists, not the gods or gods that they have made up in their minds. So that's his primary objective, that they would know him as Yahweh. He's not really interested in them being destroyed. If he wanted them to be destroyed, they'd be destroyed by now. I think that's good to remind ourselves. Like, God's not like, how can I just get them? If he wanted to get them, he would have got them. They'd have been done, got by now. But they're not yet. He's very interested in them knowing him. So first, this process is intended to reveal who he is. So he does things in a certain way to reveal things about himself. And we talked about it last week. Not only is he big and grand and awesome and over and above, but he's close and personal and with them, right? His first couple miracles or plagues were big and awesome and like, whoa, look how amazing he is. But there's a distance when God's grandness is displayed and he closed that distance. We talked about last week over the last two plagues and came real close. And now there's boils on your skin. There's not a lot of things closer to you than your skin, Right? This is revealing how close and personal and active God is in the earth. And there's another thing that's being accomplished simultaneously. Not only is God revealing about himself, but also there's a revealing, an uncovering, an exposing of the Egyptians and their way of life. It's like a mirror. You look in a mirror and you think you know what you look like and you look in the mirror, you're like, oh, I got nasty stuff in my teeth or oh, my hair's going like this or oh, my beard's weird or oh, what happened to my eyes? I used to be young once, now I have three kids. Do I look like that all the time, right? So mirrors help us because we think we know what we look like and then we look in the mirror and we go, oh, it's exposing what we really look like. And that's what's happening here as God is doing this. He's not fighting, he's not trying to destroy, he's not primarily just trying to get the people out that would have all been done by now. He's revealing who he is to the Egyptians and also exposing something about their lives that they need to know about themselves. There's some truth, a revealing of things that are actually going on in the Egyptians' lives that he wants them to know about themselves. So there's several ideas and ways of life that have been exposed as we've gone through this. I just told you the last two plagues moved 
God closer and more personal. And it's a revealing not only that Yahweh is close, but also is an exposure of the error that views God as distant. Like the type of life, if you think God is far away and not interested in what you got going on, doesn't care, doesn't know, isn't active in what's going on in your world, that's a wrong way to view life. That's a misunderstanding of how to live on this earth if you think God is separate and distant from you, right? Another thing we've talked about is how these plagues have revealed the error of a way of life that sees religion as a means to get what you want. Lots of people think life is about getting what they want or they need to get what they want in order to be happy. Like when you're born, like all you do is like poop and eat, right? You just scream when you don't get what you want. And you do that for a while, right? Some of you never stopped, right? <laughs> Hopefully the Holy Spirit will get that out of you. But this idea of life that you just have to get what you want, you just have to get what is comfortable for you, you just have to get what you want in order to be happy in life, that's an error. And God is exposing that. Remember last week when we talked about uh, God doing these plagues and the wealthy, it was like disproportionately affecting them. And like even the things that they had the frog amulets on, the frogs came up. Like all these things are exposing the things in life that they viewed as comfortable, right? The gods in their life that they worshiped in order to get favor from that God. Oh, we're not having enough rain. Let's do a dance to the rain God so we can get our will rain on the earth, right? That's a view of religion that is just using gods to get what you want out of life. And that's a misunderstanding of how to live life. And then there's, like we talked about last week, the error of life that views value and comfort and success in wealth and possessions. Right? As, again, we said the disproportionate effect of last week's plague as the rich and the wealthy and the people who would have been considered successful in the Egyptian culture are disproportionately affected. Uh, so why did I spend so much time pointing all of this out? Because there's an interpretation of this account of the plagues that just views the plagues as an attack on the religious life of the Egyptians. And I think that's too small. I, I think that there is some application where God is like exposing like, hey, re religiously, Egyptians, you got some things to work out. But I don't think it's just that. I don't think it's just God versus the Egyptian gods. God is better. I think it's God versus the entire way of life for the Egyptians. Their understanding of value and success and favor and luck and hope for the future. I think it's God versus the religious life of the Egyptians, absolutely, but God versus the priorities of the Egyptians and Yahweh versus the version of success that the Egyptians find as successful and Yahweh versus the... Um, worship and hope for the future of the Egyptians and God, Yahweh versus the family life of the Egyptians. Because here's what the Bible actually teaches. The Bible teaches that your whole life is connected in ways that maybe you don't live as if they are connected. Like, like it's, there, I've been listening to people re recently call it a system. It's kind of like a 2022, like, geeked out word, right? But your life is a system, right? They're interconnected pieces, it's not just like there's segments and God's just like, hey, Egyptians, get, get the religious thing figured out and then we'll be straight. It's like, no, all of it needs to get figured out. 
Like you don't, you can't just change the religious piece and then have everything else stay the same. Like if your faith changes, then your ideas about money change. If your hope for the future changes, then your ideas about what is a good way to spend your time also change, or what you find valuable in entertainment also changes. Or if your morality changes and your understanding of yourself as sinful changes, then all of a sudden, what you do with your time, energy, and resources, and who you hang out with, and what you expose yourselves to also changes. It's a system. Right? There's not just one piece where it's like, go to church more and you'll be fine. It's like, no, all of this has to change. Now, if you were living 4,000 years ago, that's a crazy idea. That your religious and your business lives are connected. Right? In 2022, you don't even have to go to church to hear that. You can find secular, non-God believing, like, doctors that will say, if you're too stressed out, you'll die early. Think about what that means. People who don't believe in God say, emotions can kill your physical body early. So your emotional state is connected to your physical health. Every doctor in the world would be like, yep. So why is it a stretch to think that your spiritual life would be connected to any of these physical things. It's not a stretch, right? You can find this in all sorts of areas of life. Babies who aren't touched physically develop weird emotional like problems, right? Things that you eat, like I, don't write me emails or any of this, right? But some of you are like, gluten, right? But some of you know, like things that you eat affect your emotional, the immaterial part of you, like the physical thing you put in your body affects how you live your life, right? There's all these connections between the immaterial and the material part of you that secular people acknowledge. So it's not that weird of a thing as we come here to understand God attacking not just the physical things that the Egyptians are doing, not just the religious things, but the entire system of their life. So jump back in, chapter 9, verse 8. I want you to view it through that lens, okay, of God attacking the whole system of Egyptian life. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, verse 8, take handfuls of soot from the kiln and let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. What is different about this plague than the rest of the plagues? I want you to do thinking on your own. When God does something different, you should pay attention. Right? If he's like doing some like normal walking and then he does one of these, like you should be like, oh, that was weird. Why did he do that? Right? If it just changed up for a second, Every other plague has been the same. It's been sort of a pattern, right? There's been Moses and Aaron. They go to Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, no, I'm not letting you people go. And then they say, there's going to be a plague. And Moses will like stretch out his hand or pick up his staff or speak. And these things will happen. Now we got a prop. This is the first prop in any of the plagues. This is the first time that Moses went and God told him to, very specifically, God wasn't like, hey, find some dusty kind of stuff. And Moses was like, where's a kiln, right? God wasn't like, find something you could throw far, right? Do the LeBron James, right? That God specifically told him to go to the kiln. Okay, now, you and I in 2022 hear the word kiln. Anybody got a kiln at home? Yep, that's kind of what I thought. Me neither. Okay? 
But kilns in our days aren't because of technology advances and all that stuff. A kiln is like a little oven, right? They could be big too, right? It's something that gets really hot and you can use them for all sorts of stuff. Now in 2022, you could be like a jewelry maker, a glass blower. You could be like side hustle as like pet crematory or something like that. Like if you told me you had a kiln in 2022, I'd have no idea what that meant. But this was not written in 2022. If you had a kiln in ancient Egypt, that word was brick kiln. It wasn't like, oh, there's kilns for all sorts of stuff. There was one type of kiln. If you said kiln, everybody knew exactly what you were talking about. You were talking about a brick oven. Okay? So when he says, go get handfuls of soot from the kiln, it says, go get handfuls of soot from the, everybody would have understood, brick oven. Remember chapter 5? When Moses went to Pharaoh and said, Yahweh says, let the people go. And Pharaoh responded, you're not working hard enough. So what did he do? He says, tell the foreman, the Israelites, go get their own straw to make bricks. This is what the Egyptians were forcing the Israelites to do in their slavery and bondage, is make bricks. Chapter 5 uh, verse 15, why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, make bricks. And Pharaoh said to them, verse 18 of chapter 5, go and work. No straw will be given to you, but you still must deliver the same number of bricks. So when Moses goes to the brick kiln and grabs two handfuls of soot, nobody is thinking, I wonder what that's all about. They know exactly what it's all about. The slaves that we are forcing to make bricks and produce bricks at a quota and use the brick kiln all day, every day, that has something to do with this plague. So when Moses throws a soot from the brick kilns in the air and the boils break out on the people, everybody knows the connection between the injustice and forced slavery of the Israelites and the consequences of the boils on their skin. Everybody knows what's going on here. Everybody who watches it, everybody who hears about it, is like, yeah, Moses went to the brick kiln, threw this in the air, and we all got sick. Now, some of you are going to think I'm crazy, but the Bible actually teaches that your spiritual condition is connected to your spiritual health. Let me say that again. Your spiritual condition is connected to your physical health. Spiritual condition connected to physical health. I don't know why people get uncomfortable with that, we just pointed out that stress can cause health problems. Like doctors say your physical health is affected by your emotional state. When we say that, we're fine. But when the Bible says that your spiritual condition can affect your physical health, we're like, that guy's in a cult for sure. <laughs> Why? Like emotions can affect your physical health, but spiritual things can't affect your physical health? It's actually in your scriptures, okay? Anyway, my point is not to go too far down that road, but I do want to continue to point out that God is exposing the error in the Egyptians' lifestyle. He's exposing the error in the way they are living their life. He's exposing the faultiness and insufficiency of their life system. And there's consequences to living that type of a life. Specifically in this instance, there is consequences to living a life that is really comfortable with injustice. Okay, And what's crazy is people think even today that life can be compartmentalized and your relationship with God can be independent of these other things or your view on justice. Now, I got it, okay? The word justice got thrown around a lot over the last couple years. 
right? And we didn't do a thing. We were like, we're having justice Sunday, like a lot of churches did, because we teach through the scriptures, and I don't think that the outside world needs to tell us what to talk about. So we didn't, right? But I also don't want to make an even worse mistake, and when the Bible brings it up, skip over it. This is as clear as day, God bringing a plague against a people who are okay and super comfortable with injustice in their midst. It's right here, plain as day, right? Brick kiln, soot in the oil, soot in the oil, that's not, soot in the air, boils on the skin. Clear connection. The thing you are suffering with is because of the injustice you're comfortable with and that you're allowing. Here's what the Egyptian system produced. The Egyptian system of life produced a people who were comfortable with enslaving the Israelites and murdering their male children while at the same time wearing frog amulets for good luck from the gods. Think about the disconnect there, right? They're like, yeah, we could kill those babies. I got a frog bracelet on, so I hope you help my baby. Like, what kind of God would be okay with you killing other people's babies, but then would give you favor and protection because you had a frog necklace? That's not a great God to worship, right? If he's okay with your injustice towards other people, why would he give you favor and then give you, like, it just, and he's the wrong word. They would have called this a female goddess, but whatever. Like, that's just a broken system, right? A completely broken system of justice. And here's what I love about Yahweh. He's not really into you guessing. He's not up in heaven like, I'm just going to send bad stuff in their life, and hopefully they can figure it out. Like, it's not a game of Clue. He's not like, got him, got him, got him. <laughs> now you figure out why I'm mad. Like, that's, like, everybody knows this is clear as day exactly why this plague is happening. That they're comfortable with injustice, that they've been allowing this thing for as long as they've been allowing it. Everybody knows the boils are connected to the slavery of the people in Egypt. Everybody knows the thing God wants for the Egyptians is to let the people go. There's no guessing here. Right? Unfortunately, we get a lot of the popular Christians that get on TV and they're like, this is why this hurricane's coming. I'm like, or the world's just broken by sin and hurricanes happen. Right? And that's why Jesus had to become a baby and die on the cross because he wouldn't let his people live like this forever in a hurricane infested world. Or maybe that's just it. Right? God's not into you guessing for the consequences of his actions. Nobody here is wondering how to get the plagues to stop. In fact, in the next chapter, Pharaoh's servants are going to be like, bro, let the people go. We're all going to die because you won't let the people go. Nobody here is like, Pharaoh, do you have any indication of what's going on here? Like why this is happening? Everybody knows why it's happening. And they're coming to Pharaoh begging him to let the people go. And that's where most people live. Most people live in the spot where we know what we should do, we just don't want to do it. Right where, right where, right where Pharaoh and the Egyptians are at. I know I should be uncomfortable with injustice. I just don't want to do, I don't want to be uncomfortable in the rest of my life because, you know, people look at me weird or people, oh, you're one of those people. Oh, you care too much about that. Oh, you probably read this book. Oh, you've been listening to liberal radio. Uh, you know, whatever. I don't want to do the right thing. I just like it the way it is. 
I was a teenager once. You lie to your parents, teenagers. Your, your parents are like, what were you thinking? You're like, I didn't know. I did the same thing. And you know what? I knew. I just didn't want to do it. I knew exactly what I was doing. I knew I shouldn't do it. I knew it was a bad idea. I just didn't care. Thought I could get away with it. Thought I could hide. Thought I could lie about it afterwards. Right? Everybody does that. And again, it's one of the things that you kind of giggle at because you think as a kid you do it, but you grow out of it. And the truth is you don't really grow out of it. Right? So many people live a life knowing the things that they shouldn't be doing and continue to walk in them. And to be honest with yourself, that that tendency of your human heart really never goes away and still lives inside of you is a really big step in humbling yourself before the Lord. So here's what I want to move towards. I want to I think big picture as we finish chapter 9. Where are we as we're kind of halfway through chapter 9, coming to the end of it? Big picture zoomed out. God wants the Egyptians, like we said earlier, to let the people go. But is that all he wants? Is he just about, get my people out of here. Like, if he was like, snap fingers, if the Egyptians were like, okay, fine, get away. Like, go away. Would that fix the Egyptians' life? No, not at all. Again, we, like we said, it's all connected. There's a system going on here, right? There's things that are happening in parts of the Egyptians' life that they don't think are connected to how God is interacting with them, and he's very interested in them realizing those connections. He seems to be very interested in their understanding of the connection to the spiritual when he controls the Nile River in the first plague. He seems to be very interested in their desire for favor from the gods when he controlled the frogs and the little frog amulet that they wore for good luck. Yahweh seems to be interested in big things like the Nile and very small things like gnats. Yahweh seems to care about injustice and treatment of the poor and unprivileged people. He seems to care about the value systems and definitions of success and wealth that you live with. He cares about timing of things. When he chooses to do things at certain times and not do things at certain times. And he does care about how long they take. He wants them to know he's big and powerful, and he also wants them to know he's close and personal. So Yahweh is not a God who seems to only care about one thing. He seems to be involved in and care about a lot of things. In fact, I would say all the things. He doesn't just, he's not into behavior modification. He's not like, hey, Egyptians, let the people go and we'll be good. He's like, hey, Egyptians, you're living in a life system that is headed the wrong direction. I have this verse that I use as kind of a template every time I teach the word of God. And it's a verse from a letter in your New Testament. The Apostle Paul writes a letter to this new little church in Thessalonica. And he says this. He's, he's talking to the church leaders there. He says, warn the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. And I had that memorized because I, th I think that in every crowd of people, there's people who need to be warned, there's people who need to be encouraged, there's people that need to be helped, and all of you need to have pa be patient with one another, and I need to be patient with you, you need to be patient with me, right? Patience needs to abound. In every single group, there's all of those things, and actually, Every time I teach, there's not only those people, but probably people that need that in 
all of those things at once, right? I need to be comforted here, and I need to be warned here, right? I need to be encouraged here, and I also need to be rebuked over here. And so we read a story like this, and my guess is, if the Holy Spirit is as good at his job as I think he is, that there's people in here who are like Pharaoh, and they have hard hearts on a certain part of their life system, and they need to be warned about that. The Holy Spirit's probably convicting you in that. Hey, hey, you've been resisting me like Pharaoh and the Egyptians. You've been comfortable with this. You've been allowing this, and it shouldn't be allowed. And there's certain consequences in your life because you've been allowing this. And then there's probably also people in here who are on the other side, right? They're like the Egyptians, and they were like indifferent. They were like, oh, we're just going. Pharaoh's doing his thing. And God's like, no, it's your thing. You're an Egyptian. It's in your midst. Injustice in your life shouldn't be a thing you're comfortable with. And then there's others in here who, like the Israelites, need to be helped and encouraged and reminded God hasn't forgotten you. He's working. You think the Egyptians feel really encouraged? I, I'm sorry. I said Egyptians, I meant Israelites. Do you think the Israelites feel really encouraged in this moment? My guess is probably not. I mean, they're super grateful that they don't have boils on their skin. I'm, I'm glad that God's doing something. I just kind of wish I was free and didn't have to make bricks today. That's what I would have thought if I was an Israelite. I was like, hey, can you get this on the road a little bit? Right? Did we need five plagues? Right? Could you not have taken us out of here and then brought the plagues? Would that not have been as functional? Right? Could you help us and get... But here's the thing. If you're an Israelite living in that understanding of life, it's, again, a system of life that thinks my comfort is the highest priority. Me getting what I want is the highest priority, which is exactly what God just brought a plague against the Egyptians for. The Egyptians were really comfortable with injustice because the injustice that they lived through allowed them to enjoy certain privileges, like, I don't have to make my bricks today because somebody else did it for me. So this is pretty great for me. And if the Israelites were like, you know what? I don't want to have to wait for what I want. I want God to give it to me now. That's the same spirit, right? So there's some of you that are here this morning and you're like the Israelites and you just need to be reminded, hey, maybe God's not working as fast as you hoped he would or breaking you of those chains as quick as you would hope it would happen, but he's not left you. He's still present in the earth. He's still working on hearts. He's still moving things maybe that you don't even understand that he's moving in to accomplish his will in your life. He still loves you. He still cares about you. There's some of you that need that encouragement that God loves you dearly, whether you're in bondage right now or blinded by wealth and comfort. His love for you may look like fighting injustice on your behalf, or his love for you might look like him allowing your broken life system to be exposed. Maybe you're suffering consequences right now of, of something that God has clearly put on your heart. There's a hardness of your heart. God's allowing you to experience the consequences of that. And maybe you need to be encouraged to see that as his love for you this morning. Just like a father doesn't let his kid run in the street because eventually that's going to destroy them. Maybe God's letting your broken life system be exposed this morning. I don't know. 
I don't know who you feel like you relate to in this story. If you're like, I'm like Pharaoh, or I'm like the Israel. Nobody says I'm like Pharaoh, right? We're all like, Pharaoh's an idiot. Egyptians, that's not us. We're the Israelites. God's working on our behalf. Slowly roll there, buddy. Right? God doesn't waste his breath. If he takes so long explaining to us the heart condition of Pharaoh and the hardness of heart, there's probably something we can learn from that, right? So whoever God has put on your heart to be in this story this morning, whoever God has put on your heart to learn from, I hope you would listen to that. I'm humbled that God loves me like the Israelites, even though I have a hard heart like Pharaoh, and I'm comfortable with things I shouldn't be comfortable with like the Egyptians. And a lot of times I have a faulty system where I trust in things I shouldn't. I was thinking through this this week, and I was like, man, I got to preach this, but more than that, I got to listen to it and live it, right? Nobody's above this. The point is, wherever you're at, I hope you take time to hear from the Lord this morning. If it's to be warned, if it's to be encouraged, if it's to be exposed, accept that as kindness and love from God. Amen? Uh, worship team, you can come on up. We're going to pray. Um, Father, my heart for my own life and for your people is that we would receive what you have for us, Lord, whatever that looks like. And Lord, some of us have hard hearts. Well, a lot, all of us have hard hearts in some area, Lord. Some of us have soft hearts and um, are enduring hard consequences. Some of us are comfortable with things we shouldn't be comfortable with. Some of us are choosing a life system uh, that resists what you've called us to. And Lord, wherever we're at in that spectrum, Lord, whatever we need this morning from your spirit, I pray that you'd do that right now. Pray that your spirit would work in your people. Encourage them from your word. We're going to spend 60 seconds right now just... In time of prayer before the Lord, ask the Lord to search your heart. Ask the Lord to reveal the things that need to be revealed and expose the things that need to be exposed. Maybe even take the time to ask the question, Lord, do I have a hard heart? Lord, am I bitter because I feel like you're taking too long? Lord, do you love me? Just spend some time uh, between you and the Lord right now. Father, I just pray that you would do your work in your people, that your spirit would be welcomed here, that we would not be a hard-hearted people, Lord, that we would not be a discouraged people, that we would not stay a wounded people, Lord, but we would have hope and encouragement through the goodness of your, your love for us, Lord. Be with us now as we sing of your kindness and your grace, Lord. Amen.